the movie of the week. Presenting the world premiere of an original motion picture produced especially for ABC. Tonight on the movie of the week. Well, hello again. This is Buck Penny speaking. This isn't actually a movie, nor is it on ABC, but I like that intro music. I always have since I was a kid, so I thought I'd use it. This is uh, where we're going to present a show of the week for you that's on one of our other podcast networks. In this case, uh, it's on my Strange New Worlds of Dimension X-1 podcast. And I'll have a link to that in the show notes for this episode. So if you want to catch more of this series, you want to check it out there. But I thought I'd bring it here to let you see what's I have there. <laughs> so uh, over there on uh, the Strange New Worlds of Dimension X-1 podcast, we are running X-1 each week, Dimension X, Suspense, CBS Radio Workshop, Rod Serling's Zero Hour, and escape for old-time radio shows. And then also we are having where we review current television series and talk about episodes and things. We have Star Trek Discovery that we talk about each week, WandaVision, and The Mandalorian that we're covering so far. We'll cover other series as well. So if you want to catch more of this episode, make sure you go over there. Like I say, I'll link to it in the show notes. And here is our episode for this week. It's uh, the very first premiere episode of CBS Radio Workshop from 1956, and I'll get into it, but it's a two-parter. The first part we'll play for you today. The second part will be posted over on my uh, other podcast, The Strange New Worlds of Dimension X-1, And it'll be over there in probably a couple of days. Um, So you can catch the second part of this if you wish. Great show and uh, enjoy. We'll see you next time. CBS Radio, a division of the Columbia Broadcasting System and its 217 affiliated stations, present the premier broadcast of the CBS Radio Workshop. Radio's distinguished series dedicated to man's imagination. The Theater of the Mind. Tonight, part one of two half-hour programs devoted to one of the world's most shocking and famous novels. Aldous Huxley's terrifying forecast of the future, Brave New World. We are proud to have Mr. Huxley as narrator for these broadcasts. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. I'm here with my friend Bob, and uh, we have a new show for you. This is the CBS Workshop. And uh, CBS Workshop, we're presenting it because it is its, what is this now? It's its uh, like 65th anniversary, I think. Um, And so it's... uh, just a fun one to present to you. I don't know if we're going to continue to present it every week. It's not science fiction every week. This first week was. Um, it's a two-parter, and it'll be continued in the next week. We'll do the second part. 
and then my my team will decide whether we're going to keep on doing it or not. We probably will, at least for a few weeks, to see what it's like, because it's a really interesting show. Anyway, uh, CBS Workshop, what happened was radio is like dying. The TV is taking over at this point in time. Uh, the They're not really introducing that many new radio shows. Um, and they're, the ones they are releasing, they're just trying to find an audience because uh, everyone's watching TV and they're not uh, listening to radio as much. This is uh, I love Lucy has taken off. This is uh, what five years or something, four years after I love Lucy has hit the airwaves and uh, Perry Mason's on and uh, gun smoke on, on TV. I mean, there's all kinds of TV to watch and radio is just trying to find a way to survive. And they come up with this, quality show it's pretty much based on in 1936 i want to say so uh 20 years earlier 20 years before this there was columbia workshop and columbia workshop was very similar to this cbs workshop and it was just where they could try anything and everything but do it all in really high quality that was the whole concept is really put their money into it and like in this case it's going to be Brave New World that we're presenting to you. And Aldous Huxley, the writer, they brought in and he narrates it and introduces it. And it's just so cool to hear the actual writer talk about his script. I think the most interesting thing he says is he says that um, uh, he had originally, when he wrote this 30 years earlier, something like that, um, he said that he was assuming it would be about 600 years for us to get to the point of where his story would make sense. So he said it's 600 years in the future, but he said, if he was writing it then in 1956 is when this came out, uh, he said he'd say 200 years in the future. So it's like there was a 400 year difference in when he thought it would happen just based on that 20 years since he wrote it or 30 years since he wrote it. So, um, and I think he was right. I think things have changed very quickly. Um, interesting to think of how many things that they talk about in this um, science fiction piece that we already see kind of the beginnings of and we're heading more that way and sort of thing. Um, Bob, what were um, what are your thoughts about the quality of the show? The what Just what do you think? Anything that you want to throw out there? Yeah, this was... I think one of the most high quality that we've listened to. I think they, yeah, they did a lot of really nice sound effect work. The narration work was really good. Audio quality is really good. Well, it's all the way around. It's just a really nice production. I mean, sometimes you feel like some guy dropping a glass jar or something and recording it. (laughs) (laughs) Hitting something together in the background. This one seemed like they, they spent, a lot of money and time. I don't, obviously, the technology that was crude compared to what we have today. I'm sure they were splicing tape together and things, but right. Um, yeah, it was very nicely produced. Well, and this is, of course, right at the end of radio. Radio would only really, the old-time radio that are the radio shows we think of as old-time radio, would only exist for another six years, and then it would be gone. Um, so this is where they're benefiting from all the decades that radio has been around, whereas TV, TV was still a new medium and still trying to find its way. 
radio was established and solid and they brought in all the best people for this. So this is about the highest production quality you're ever going to run into in radio. And luckily they've been saved in really high quality. I mean, the, the sound quality of this recording doesn't sound like you hear a bunch of crackling or anything like that. It's really clear. Um, Speaking of that, our dimension X's that we're presenting um, actually the X minus ones, I've gotten some really high quality copies of those now. And so we'll be presenting uh, X minus one in really nice quality uh, for quite a while. And so those are going up. So all of our productions that we bring you are pretty solid. We don't have anything that's, that doesn't sound great. Um, what did you think about hearing? Uh, did it mean much to you to have Alice Huxley actually introducing and doing some of the narration and things? Yeah, that was cool. I mean, you don't, normally don't get that. It's usually some narrator, and he does a really nice job. I, I don't know if he had any experience doing it, but he seems like pretty natural at it. I thought and, so too. I thought he did a really, a really nice job. You could tell his voice wasn't the most radio-like voice, and if you had somebody else doing it, you'd pick somebody with a different, slightly different voice. But he did a solid job, and certainly it was the writing on the show, too. I'm sure they wrote that all out for him, and he was just reading what they wrote. But um, he did a really nice job. And, of course, he must have had input because that whole thing about um, making it 200 years in the future instead of 600 years in the future, that all sounded like genuine. That was coming from him. I doubt somebody wrote that for him. I assume he wrote that part or at least told them about that part. Um, what did you think about the show in general, the, uh, the story? I mean, had you, re- had you read Brave New World before? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've read stuff online. I, I basically know the storyline. I've never heard it acted out. Right. Um, so if we do a synopsis, probably there's probably some people that have never seen it, so we probably shouldn't blow the second half off. But, right. I don't um, think we should blow up much of it, I think, other than to say uh, certainly – it was a gutsy move to do this. I mean, it's it, it, at the time and even today, it's would be very controversial to present in that one, I mean, they talk about sex in here. They talk about breastfeeding. They talk about, uh, and it's just part of this story that you have to present. So um, kind of topics that you didn't expect in 1956 and then the 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 scene that to me is the most surprising or whatever, and that they would actually leave it in or whatever, but you kind of needed to, was the whole scene with the babies and the books and the and the flowers, um, where they uh, are kind of playing really loud music to to get the babies so they don't like the books and the flowers, so they don't associate they they associate negative feelings with those, and they even shock the babies. Um, and you can hear it. The babies are crying in the background and, and, and you've got the sound of them being shocked and everything. It's a pretty shocking scene. Um, literally. So um, the, uh, what did you think about that? Were you, were you surprised that they, that they went there with that or. I could kind of see it in the fifties. Yeah. I think now it would almost be more controversial now. I think so too. Just because people seem to be more sensitive to it. But it was and child abuse and all of that sort of <clears throat> don't want to see that, you know, depicted and accepted. I mean, it's accepted by the folks that are uh, in that society, 
but of course the general message is that society is is wrong i mean we don't it's it's one of those interesting presentations because you have basically where a person is is touting their society as being perfect and and describing it the the kind of the narrator the person leading us through it is kind of doing it that way um but you can tell the whole time it's a setup for the fact that this is not a good society and this is not the way to go. And we have the person that's doubting it that is being saying he's going to be sent to um, Antarctica and that sort of thing or whatever. And uh, yeah. and they have a place in the country that's not following these standards. And that's New Mexico, isn't it? Is where there's... Yeah, it's, it's at the, the Savage Reservation. Yeah. And they do do things the old way. Yes. And so they, people actually have normal sex and everything and people grow old and all of that. But, um, but they think of that as completely backwards and um, like you say, the savage sort of place and things. Uh, Certainly it sets up. It's interesting because they, they have you like the, the sympathetic character that we're supposed to empathize with um in the end of this episode and we won't give the ending away but it just feels like to me like he's gonna he's doing something for not necessarily the right reasons it's like oh i can get him now or whatever or i can show him whereas it just feels like you know he should just be trying to maybe going oh this is the place where i want to live my life and i want to be outside of the system but it's not really so much that he finds something when he goes there that he can use against the system and is planning to go back and mess with the system. And we'll have to see how part two goes. Um, what do you think about, uh, you know, that whole piece? Yeah, that was, the reservation was interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. They don't really tell you all they tell you at the end of the episode is he's, it's the triumph of his life, basically. But you're right; he doesn't really. You think he would just kind of try to sink into the savage reservation, but yeah, he he has gets basically gets leverage. Yeah, yeah. On his leader. Well, and I think he he recognizes. I mean, it's it's one of those deep things that are not laid out. It's 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 a good. He is Aldous Huxley wrote the thing, did a good job of of writing it you know, we're so used to in television and so many things to get hit over the head with here's where this is going to go. And this is what's going on Um, between the lines here. I think he goes with this woman thinking that she's hoping that she's going to go, Oh yes, this is the life I want to lead. Let's stay here and let's, let's leave the system. But in reality, each step of the way he's seen that she is less and less ready to do that and shows that no, she is not, she's willing to come here for him, but this is not the life that she wants to lead or anything. And so she's willing to visit here, but then she's going to want to go back. So I think he midway kind of changes his plan of what he's going to do for a number of reasons. One, he finds leverage that he can go back and, and change things. He thinks, I believe. And two, the woman that he wanted to come here with is not going to work out anyway. So he's like, well, you know, I don't want to stay here by myself. Now the reality is he should probably stay there by himself. And if he'll find a woman there that, that obviously was brought up that way and, and they can live a normal life. 
on the other hand, if you look at the bigger picture, is it your responsibility if you if if you know society is wrong, is it your responsibility to go and try and fix that? And so he, I think he's trying to think that he can go back and completely mess with it and break society so that it becomes a better society and and helps everyone. At least that's what I hope he's thinking. I don't, you know, I, he never really tells us, so we we don't really know. But is that your kind of your feeling too, Bob? Or yeah, I'm like the whole character the character's name is Lanina Crown Uh Uh, she doesn't seem I mean even when before he goes there he doesn't seem like she's gonna want to live that life right so I'm not sure maybe he just was hoping right that because yeah the whole whole, you know we fall in love with somebody and we think we can change them and things but it usually doesn't work out that way and the, the thing that I was like maybe I should go back and read again yeah. They kept calling them. Well, one thing is like everybody is like involved with everybody. Yes. I, I can't remember the phrase they used. Um, it's not like they're owned, or maybe it was owned. It's essentially, I mean, I think what they're getting across, and, you know, they had to do it with 50 sensibilities and things, but essentially that it's looked down upon to be with one person. Yeah, basically. The concept is well, we don't want that in society. We don't want couples anymore and that sort of thing. So if you're one of the alpha group, you know, you should be with a lot of people and and be dating a whole bunch of different people and they're dating a whole bunch of different people. And that's just expected and looked up upon that you do that. Uh, Monogamy is not important or it's even not even, it's not even, it's considered wrong or it's considered considered bad to do monogamous relationship um you can be close to people i guess but you expect that person's gonna be close to a lot of other people so just an interesting twist on society and uh turning everything on its head um yeah especially uh, i think when he wrote in the 30s too yeah yeah well it it, it kind of makes it feels like what I've seen, like communes sort of being like at least some of the ones that, uh, and that sort of thing, which I don't know. I know there was communes and things even back then. So, I mean, he could have styled it on some of that, but I don't know. Interesting, thing, interesting story. The other thing that kind of I kept trying to figure out was, and I haven't read the story for a long time, is they kept calling them nomadic girls. Right. Not, is, what, what does that mean? All the babies are male, and the women women are made like are robots. I mean, I don't think that's the way it is, but it's no, confusing. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it is confusing with that, and well, and then the fact that the way they have children, the way it's explained, is not that far away from uh, insemination, and 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 the way that, and and then we've noticed that. Uh, there's a lot more likelihood that you're going to have twins and triplets and things when there's insemination going on. And they are, of course, have taken it to a whole nother level. Um, yeah. They get 96. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Identical. Yeah. And then it's just considered a waste to not get that many. If you can get that many, then you should. Right. And so that's just a interesting whole show. Anyway, um, I think we'll stop there, but uh I think you guys are going to enjoy this episode. It's really well done. 
And like I say, we'll keep bringing this to you for a few weeks and then kind of decide whether we're going to keep on or not. But uh, a huge, uh, hugely important show for the end of radio. And I think a, a great, I love that radio didn't go out like on a whimper and just kind of go away, but they really had some of their best people doing some of their best things in the last years of radio, even if they couldn't do as many shows as they've done in the past, they, they really focused on doing high quality shows. And I think that really pays off. And that's probably why we listen to so many shows that are from the end of radio, because it, one, they have better quality sound usually, but two, they're just really well done. So anyway, enjoy. And we'll see you guys next time. Ladies and gentlemen, the distinguished author, Mr. Aldous Huxley. Brave New World is a fantastic parable about the dehumanization of human beings. In the negative utopia described in my story, man has been subordinated to his own inventions. Science, technology, social organization, these things have ceased to serve man. They have become his masters. A quarter of a century has passed since the book was published. In that time, our world has taken so many steps in the wrong direction that if I were writing today, I would date my story not 600 years in the future, but at the most 200. The price of liberty and even of common humanity is eternal vigilance. CBS Radio, a division of the Columbia Broadcasting System and its 217 affiliated stations, present the premier broadcast of the CBS Radio Workshop, radio's distinguished series dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. Tonight... Part one of two half-hour programs devoted to one of the world's most shocking and famous novels. Aldous Huxley's terrifying forecast of the future, Brave New World. We are proud to have Mr. Huxley as narrator for these broadcasts. Original music is composed and conducted by Bernard Herrmann. sounds of the brave new world, of test tube and decanter, of hissing injectors and gurgling blood substitute. The year is AF 632, 632 years after Ford. We are inside the London Hatchery and Conditioning Centre, and this is the fertilising room, an enormous laboratory where the temperature is never allowed to fall below 98.6. And here comes the director of hatcheries and conditioning in person, bringing with him a group Tomorrow, of young students. Tomorrow you will be settling down to serious work. Today I just want to give you a general idea of things. Uh, these are the incubators, and here is the weak supply of over, kept at blood heat. Uh, come along, boys. Now here we immerse the eggs into a warm bouillon containing free-swimming spermatozoa. 
Immersion continues until the eggs are all fertilised. Ah, and over here, here is where we bottle the alphas and betas. In short, gentlemen, the perfect process for manufacturing healthy babies. Are there any questions? Uh, sir, uh, will you explain the uh, Bakanovsky process? I'm glad you asked that. Uh, students, take this down. Bakanovsky's process. Where in olden times, one egg made one embryo which made one baby. Today, we've improved on all that. Now the egg will bud, will divide from eight to 96 buds, and every bud will grow into a perfectly formed embryo and every embryo into a mature baby, making 96 human beings grow where only one grew before. Progress. But uh, what advantage is it, sir? Uh, I mean... Uh... Oh, my good boy, can't you see? Where in olden times nature allowed us only to have twins or perhaps triplets or so, today we can create scores, yes, scores of identical individuals. We can manufacture men and women in uniform batches. Think of it. An entire factory staffed with the product of one single egg. 96 identical individuals working 96 identical machines. At last, society really knows where it stands. Remember, it was our Ford who gave us the concept of the assembly line when he was on Earth many centuries ago. And now, boys... We will go up to the bottling room where we shall see how we create each class of society. Alphas, betas, deltas, etc. Come with me. Well, Danina. Oh, director. Oh, charming, charming. Ah. What are you injecting into our embryos today, my dear? Typhoid antitoxins? Yes, sir. Are you uh, busy this afternoon? Oh, not after five, sir. Good. Suppose we get together then on the roof. That would be fine. I've admired you for some time, then, Nina. I'm looking forward to a closer acquaintance. Thank you, sir. And now, boys, we're off to the bottling room. You are a lucky girl. The director of hatcheries and conditioning. Oh, hello, Fanny. Oh, you can trust the director to be the perfect gentleman. I saw him pat you. He wants me. You see? That shows what he stands for. The strictest conventionality. And it's about time you started belonging to someone else, my dear. But I like Henry Foster. We've only been with each other four months. Four months? Well, what would the district world controller say? You know how he disapproves anything intense or long-drawn. And it isn't as though there were anything painful or disagreeable about being with one or two other men besides Henry. After all, everyone belongs to everyone else. You're quite right, Fanny, as usual. Good girl. Uh, Fanny, do you know Bernard Marx? <gasps> Bernard Marx? Well, why not? Bernard's an Alpha Plus. Besides, he asked me to go to New Mexico, to the Savage Reservation with him. But his reputation. They say he doesn't like obstacle golf. Oh, they say, they say. And that he spends most of his time by himself alone. They say somebody made a mistake when he was still in the bottle. Thought he was a gamma and put alcohol into his blood substitute. That's why he's so stunted. Oh, what nonsense. Oh, very well, Lenina. It's your life, my dear. But I think you're heading for trouble. And here we have the bottling room. Little embryos carefully bottled being rocked gently to and fro as they did in olden days when carried by their mothers. <gasps> now, boys, you must learn to distinguish between smut and science. I am going to use that word again. 
As scientists of tomorrow, you must learn to cope with it. Mother. Oh. <coughs> there, that's better. As a matter of fact, there is an area in our world where humans are still viviparous, still give birth to their children. The Savage Reservation in New Mexico. I uh, visited there once myself many years ago. Dreadful, filthy place. Naturally, civilization has improved on all that. Ah, it is here we control the embryo's growth, each batch carefully regulated to produce the exact class of citizen we desire. And here is our Mr. Henry Foster in charge of bottling. Oh, Henry. Uh, yes, sir. Please explain the process to the students. Oh, delighted, sir. By the way, Henry, before you begin, I made a date with Lenina Crown this afternoon. Oh, really? I'm delighted, sir. I'm sure you'll enjoy belonging to her. Good. Very pneumatic girl. Now, please proceed. This way, gentlemen. <clears throat> here, we advance the process. One by one, the eggs are transferred from their test tubes into these larger decanters and moved along to the labelers, carefully labeled as to heredity, date of fertilization, sex, name, serial number. Gentlemen, there are 88 cubic feet of card index in this room. Now, here is where we actually predestine and condition. Nothing is so unstabilizing to society as unhappy people. We avoid all that by preconditioning our embryos. And now we are entering the heat conditioning room. Hot tunnels alternating with cool tunnels. Exposure to cold is accompanied by exposure to x-rays. By the time these babies are decanted, they have a perfect horror of cold. Thus, they are perfectly prepared to emigrate to the tropics to be miners and acetate silk spinners and steel workers. And that... That is the secret of happiness and virtue, liking what you have got to do. All conditioning aims at that, making people like their unescapable social destiny. Oh, ten to three, boys. Time to visit the nurseries. And so the director continued on his tour. Meanwhile, in his rooms high above the city, Bernard Marx nervously paced the floor. I'm taking Lenina Crown in New Mexico with me, Helmholtz, to the Savage Reservation. Well, it's about time. What do you mean by that? I'll be frank, Bernard. There's been a lot of talk about your behavior at the College of Emotional Engineering. Of course, I've been defending you, And I'm but... supposed to be grateful? Because you're a successful feelies writer? Because you're tall, well-built, have all the girls you want? Oh, Bernard... <laughs> Now, you know how I feel. I want to write. I mean, seriously, not slogans or feelies. I, I want to write something important. Mm -hmm. now, lately, I've been cutting out my committees and my girls. The director called me in just the other day. Are you in trouble, too? There's a poem I wrote, too emotional, he said. Mm. He gave me the lecture about being an alpha plus, about remembering to behave even as a little infant. I know. I tried to explain to Lenina, but she doesn't understand, or won't understand. All those other men she belongs to, Henry Foster, Benito Hoover, they treat her like, like a side of beef. It's disgusting. It's socially proper. We share and we share alike, remember? But I want her for myself, alone. Bernard, you're my closest friend. Now, you listen to me. You can't win this way. Follow the rules. Play the game. Be happy.
The nursery was on the fifth floor. The sign over the door said, Neo-Pavlovian Conditioning Room. It was a large, bare room, very bright and sunny. Half a dozen nurses, trousered and jacketed in the regulation white viscose linen uniform, were engaged in setting out bowls of roses in a long row across the floor. The nurses stiffened to attention as the director of hatcheries and conditioning came in, followed by his students. Set out the books. In silence, the nurses obeyed his command. Between the rose bowls, the books were duly set out. Now bring in the children. They hurried out of the room and returned in a moment, each pushing a kind of tall, dumb waiter, laden on all its four wire-netted shelves with eight-month-old babies, all exactly alike, a Bokanovsky group, and all, since their caste was Delta, dressed in khaki diapers. Put them down on the floor. Now turn them so they can see the flowers and books. Turned, the babies at once fell silent, then began to crawl towards those clusters of sleek colours, those shapes so gay and brilliant. From the ranks of the babies came little squeals of excitement, gurgles and twitterings of pleasure. The swiftest crawlers were already at their goal. Small hands reached out uncertainly, touched, grasped, unpetaling the roses, crumpling the illuminated pages of the books. Watch carefully, students. All right, nurses, pull the lever. <laughs> Rubbing the lesson with a mild electric shock. That's enough. All right, take them away, nurses. Observe. Henceforth, books and flowers will be associated in their minds with loud, unpleasant noises and electric shock. And after 200 repetitions of the same or a similar lesson, will be wedded forever. What man has joined, nature is powerless to put asunder. They'll be safe from books and botany all their lives. But, sir, since these are lower caste children anyway and will never read, why bother to condition them against flowers? Simple economics. If gammas, deltas, or even epsilons like flowers and nature... Soon you'd see them wasting their time visiting the countryside. And of what economic use is that? A love of nature keeps no factories busy. It was decided to abolish it, at least among the lower classes. Uh, any further questions? Uh, sir, uh, would you tell us about sleep teaching? I'm glad you asked that. The most ingenious development of all, sleep teaching, is given to all our children as they grow to maturity. A little voice murmurs slogans in their ear all the night long while they sleep. Of course, it's useless for teaching, but as a method for giving post-hypnotic suggestions, it is invaluable. It's what conditions our minds to love our future role in life. Now, boys, uh, tell me some of the lessons we've all learned through sleep teaching. A gram is better than a dam. A good example. We have learned to take a gram of soma whenever we feel out of sorts. Euphoric, narcotic, pleasantly hallucinant. It transports our minds into a beautiful sleep filled with wonderful images. It gives a, a soma holiday, thus preventing unnecessary impulses such as anger, jealousy, envy, anxiety. Um, next. Uh, ending is better than mending. Good. That's right. 
It's better to throw away something than to repair it. New clothing, new possessions keep our factories humming and make us happier. Next. I'm glad I'm not a gamma. Ah, yes. We're all taught in our sleep to enjoy our own caste, whatever it may be. Gammas are taught to think I'm glad I'm not an epsilon. Betas learn to be glad they're not deltas or gammas. And glad they're not alphas, because we alphas sometimes have to use our minds, and that's very painful. (laughs) Very good, very good indeed. Well, students, I think our tour is over for today. I'm sure most of you have dates with pneumatic young ladies. Some, of course, will be wanting to get in a game of obstacle golf. But uh, before we finish, I'd like to add a few footnotes to the things you've seen today. Today, we have a controlled society, a happy society. We have stability. Ah, there was a time when these things did not exist. Didn't people grow old and feeble in those days, sir? Indeed, they did. Old men in the bad old days used to renounce, retire, take to religion, spend their time reading, thinking, thinking. Now such is progress. At 60, we have the taste and the powers of a 17-year-old. The old men have no time, no leisure from pleasure. Not a moment to sit down and think. They're much too busy scampering from feely to feely, from girl to pneumatic girl. Fortunate boys, no pains have been spared to make your lives emotionally easy, to preserve you as far as possible from having emotions at all. Ford's in his fliver, all's well with the world. Ford's in his fliver, all's well with the world. And solemnly and devoutly they made the sign of the tea and hurried off to join their fellow citizens at play. In spite of Fanny's dire warnings, Lenina Crown made a date that evening with the eccentric Mr. Marks, partly to show Fanny her courage and partly because she was curious. When they were safely in their helicopter and climbing above the city, she turned to him. Shall we play escalator squash or go to the feelies? Escalator squash is a waste of time. But what else is time for? All right, then, let's go to the feelies. You know, they're showing love on a bearskin rug, and everyone says it's terribly exciting. You can Lenina, actually please, feel... couldn't we just go for a walk and be alone together? But, Bernard, we'll be alone all night. Well, I, I, I meant alone for talking. Talking? What about? Oh, you're beginning to feel nasty, I can tell. Take a soma, Bernard. I'd rather be myself, myself and nasty, not somebody else, however jolly. A gammon nine saves nine. Oh, for Ford's sake, be quiet. Bernard. Lenina, don't you ever want to be just you? Not enslaved by your own conditioning to be free? But I am free. I'm free to have the most wonderful time. Everybody's happy nowadays. But wouldn't you like to be free to be happy in your own way and not somebody else's? I simply don't understand you. Bernard, do you really like me? Everyone says I'm awfully pneumatic. Eventually, Bernard took Lenina to the Westminster Abbey Cabaret, where Calvin Stopes and his 16 saxophonists were playing. Also featured was London's finest scent and colour organ, 
and all the latest synthetic music. With the aid of four Soma tablets, Bernard managed to spend a successful evening with the girl, and the next morning he agreed to apply at once for a permit to visit the Savage Reservation. He was quite nervous as he stood before the large desk of the Director of Hatcheries and Conditioning. Oh, going to take Lenina Crown, I see. Yes, sir. Very pneumatic. Uh, uh, yes, sir. New Mexico Reservation. How long ago was it? Let me see. Twenty, twenty-five years? Hmm. I must have been your age then. Uh, sir? I had the same idea as you. Wanted to have a look at the savages. Got a permit for New Mexico and went there for my summer holiday. With my girl of the moment. She was a beta minus, I think. Oh, yes. She had yellow hair and was especially pneumatic. Well, it was terrible. We rode about on horses and all that, and, and the last day of our stay, she got lost. Somewhere in those horrid mountains. Lost. We never did find her, poor girl. Must have fallen in some crevice. Yes, we searched for days, but no luck. Ugh. Miserable trip. Oh, you must have had a terrible shock. Oh, don't imagine there was anything unethical about it. Nothing emotional or long-drawn. It was all perfectly healthy and normal. I'm sure it was, sir. What's that? Oh. Mr. Marks, I should like to take this opportunity of saying I'm not at all pleased with the reports I receive of your behavior outside working hours. Alphas are so conditioned that they do not have to be infantile in their emotional behavior, but that is all the more reason for their making a special effort to conform. And so, Mr. Marks, I give you fair warning. Uh, yes, sir. If ever I again hear of any lapse from a proper standard of infantile decorum, I shall ask for your transference to a sub-center, preferably to Iceland. Good morning. The journey was quite uneventful. The Blue Pacific rocket lost four minutes in a tornado over Texas but was able to land at Santa Fe less than 40 seconds behind schedule. Lenina and Bernard slept that night at Santa Fe, and Lenina was very happy. Imagine 60 escalator squash racket courts in the hotel and obstacle and electromagnetic golf, too. Oh, Bernard, it's simply too lovely. Uh, there will be no scent organs, television, or even hot water once we get out on the reservation. I can stand it. You'll see. Only... Progress is lovely, isn't it? They took a rocket ship into the interior, and from there they traveled on horseback. And all Bernard could think about was Iceland, and how cold and barren it would be. The director's warning had made him even quieter and more sullen than usual. And then, that evening, they reached their destination. Before them was the village of Malpais, situated on a mesa. Adobe hovels growing out of the stony ground, dust and squalor, and the smell of wood smoke. What an awful place. I don't like it. Who's that man coming toward us? He's to be our guide. I I'm frightened, Bernard. Quiet. We shouldn't have come. Oh, good morrow. You're civilized, aren't you? You come from outside, from the other place? My name is Bernard Marks. This is Lenina Crown. Hmm. My name is John. Come with me. He speaks English. That's strange. Probably trained as a guide. Where is he leading us? To that hut, I believe. Uh, there seems to be some sort of activity over there. 
Porgy, Porgy. Why, it's like our lower caste community sing. Only look, now they're beating themselves with whips. Oh, no, Bernard. It's got something to do with their religion. What a wonderful intensity of feeling it must generate. I often think one may have missed something in not having passions like that. Nonsense. Bernard, what's wrong with that man? Where? Oh, he's just old, that's all. Old? But but we don't look like that when we're old. He's so wrinkled, so... Oh, it's horrible. That's because we age all at once. We stay 17 until we're 60 or so, and And then... And then we die, and they burn our bodies and recover the phosphorus for the good of the world state, just as it should be. But this... (gasps) What is it? That... That woman! Oh, Bernard, no! Take me away! Take me away! She's only nursing her baby, Lenina. That's her child. She's the mother. Bernard, how can you be so vulgar? I think I'll be sick. Please, Bernard, anywhere. Anywhere. Is something wrong? I think we'd better take Lenina inside. Over here. Follow me. My Soma. I'm out of Soma. Bernard. I'm sorry, Lenina. I didn't bring him. Here. Inside. This is my home. This is my home. You are welcome to remain here. John? John? Yes, Mother? Mother? These are people from the outside, Mother. They have come to see the reservation. From the other place? You're from the other place. Don't come near me. But don't you see, I'm from there, too. I'm civilized. I don't belong here. It's, it's all a terrible mistake. This is my mother, Linda. Uh, were you born here? No. No, I tell you, I was decanted like normal people. Oh, thank Ford, someone has come. At last, thank Ford. Bernard, Bernard, please keep her away. Could you tell us about yourself, please? Well, I came here 25 years ago with a man. His name was Thomas. We went riding together on on horses. There was a terrible storm. I got lost, lost in this horrible place. It was the last day of our stay. He left me here, alone. Lenina? Yes? Uh, You will be interested to know that our director of hatcheries and conditioning is named Thomas, and that he came here 25 years ago. Oh, no, no. And that... It can't be. But it is. He told me so himself. (laughs) What a discovery. This boy... This boy is our director's son. Our director is a father. Oh, it's too horrible. (laughs) Mother, what is he saying? (laughs) Iceland. Iceland, indeed. Bernard, stop it. Well, we'll see who tells who where to go now. Uh, John. Yes, sir? How would you and your mother like to return to civilization? Do you mean it? Oh, please, do you? Listen, they're crazy here. I was a beta minus. I always worked in the fertilizing room. I was a good worker. But how can I tell them? They don't understand. They mend things. They don't know what a helicopter is or, or, or Soma. They have babies like dogs. Oh, it's too revolting. Oh, thank God. If it hadn't been for my son, for John, what a comfort he has been to me. Your son? How can you? You were beta minus. I know, I know, but he's been a comfort to me just the same. If only I'd had Soma... Oh, do you mean it? Will you take us back to civilization? (laughs) Of course. Uh, We'll leave tomorrow. (laughs) You and your son. Back to civilization. (laughs) 
And Bernard was as good as his word. That very night, he and John and his mother and Lenina took the Blue Pacific Rocket to London. For Lenina, it was a happy trip since she had taken four somers the minute they got back to the hotel. For John, it was a voyage of discovery. Poor Linda, his mother, could only weep for joy. But for Bernard, it was a moment of triumph. Triumph such as he had never known before. Brave New World, Part One, by Aldous Huxley. A startling, shocking account of what can happen to our civilization 600 years in the future. And more importantly, a warning to all of us against the destruction of moral standards, family life, and the soul of man. Join us next week when we will continue with Part Two of Aldous Huxley's terrifying forecast of the future of what could become the Brave New World. Presented on the CBS Radio Workshop. The CBS Radio Workshop is produced and directed by William Frug. Brave New World was adapted for radio by Mr. Frug. Featured in the cast were Joseph Kearns, Bill Idelson, Gloria Henry, Charlotte Lawrence, Byron Kane, Sam Edwards, Jack Crucian, Vic Perrin, and Lorene Tuttle. Original music composed and conducted by Bernard Herman. This is the CBS Radio Network. <laughs>